Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Intercepted. My name is Maryam Saleh, and I'm a features editor at The Intercept. Earlier this month, Intercept reporter Ryan Devereaux traveled to southern Arizona, where he visited a small rural border town called Ajo. There, he witnessed a recent change in policy by the U.S. Border Patrol, which for the last couple of months has been dropping off asylum-seeking migrants in tiny towns that have little resources. And what he witnessed there is that this change in border patrol policies that's bringing people to towns like Ajo is straining the human aid networks in an area that is one of the deadliest areas along the border. Ryan spoke to Intercepted lead producer Jack Desidoro about his reporting. people who are being let in are unaccompanied children. That is a policy decision which we made because we felt it was the most humane approach. Are we looking at overcrowding at the border, in particular of these kids? Yes. Yes. This is, however, not going to be solved overnight. The idea that I'm going to say, which I would never do, if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border, we're just going to let them starve to death and stay on the other side. No previous administration did that either, except Trump. I'm not going to do it. Over these past several weeks, there's obviously been a ton of reporting about everything that's going on on the border, the apprehension of huge numbers of unaccompanied Central American children. These children have been moved into overcrowded facilities. There's been a lot of conversation about whether Biden is presiding over a humanitarian crisis. That's what a number of Republicans who flew down to the valley and took a tour on gunboats down the Rio Grande, want the world to believe. What he did is created a human tsunami that's going to come to the United States. He didn't mean to, but I don't think he understands. But I decided to look into something a little different. My name is Ryan Devereaux, and I'm a reporter at The Intercept. I cover border and immigration enforcement, the Department of Homeland Security. The Border Patrol in Southern Arizona was beginning a practice of sort of releasing somewhat significant numbers of asylum seekers into 
very rural, small border communities in southern Arizona that have really no resources to receive them. The way that it had been done historically is the Border Patrol would, you know, if they arrested people in the desert, they would take them to the custody at a local station, and then those folks would generally be moved to a bigger city, somewhere like Tucson, for example. What's happening now with the change that started around mid-February is that the Border Patrol is basically terminating its custody of folks at the station level and then saying they are obligated under law to then release them at the nearest possible population center. I recently flew down to the Arizona-Sonora-Mexico border and spent a few days interviewing folks at migrant shelters on both sides of the border, talking to people about what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, to try to get a sense of how these first few months of the Biden administration are playing out and how the community is responding to this pretty significant change of policy. I was there for this drop-off that happened around 9, 9 in the morning. Oh, what's your name? My name is Lupe. Lupe. Guadalupe, but you can, say, you can use Lupe. Guadalupe. It's short. <laughs> what do you explain? What did you just I tell them to? that we're in Ajo, mm-hmm. and then I tell them that it's two hours from here to their next destination, but that they'll be here for about an hour, in which time they'll do the COVID testing and we'll bring them some snacks and uh, they can go to the restroom if they'd like mm-hmm. and just kind of give them an overview of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Ajo is this town of roughly 3,700 people surrounded by vast expanses of Sonoran desert, federal lands for the most part. There's no police department, there's no hospital, and there's no local government. Resources are very thin. You know, the Border Patrol rolls into this town. We'll release them into a, a tiny little park there, and volunteers receive them, and folks have their COVID tests. The volunteers there had set up this canopy for the new arrivals to come. They had folding chairs set out. One of the volunteers who was on hand there is John Orlowski. He's a longtime volunteer with the Ajo Samaritans, which is sort of one of the most active humanitarian groups in that area. You're 2022. I was just explaining that this is going to look so peaceful because we've had 40. He kind of explained to me how things have been working. Every morning, the volunteers get word from CBP about how many people to expect to arrive, and every afternoon, they get word about how many people to expect in the evening. The largest number that they've had so far was 40 people. We've had a number of 30s, you know, in the 30s. We've had three one day. And it's basically the trend has been smaller, getting bigger. Uh, we've only had a couple of cases of family separations, not intentional separations. But separated in the process. John described to me that they have seen cases of family separations uh, there in Ajo with folks that they were receiving. It was a grandmother who was separated from her family because she didn't have the right paperwork to be admitted into the country. She was subsequently moved to a different section of the border where she was allowed entry. This sort of dysfunction that these volunteers are trying to grapple with and deal with as they're taking these people in. Um, today, none of these people have paperwork because they forgot. And if we hadn't caught that, 
all of these people, like the likelihood of us sending them to Tucson and then figuring out how to get their paperwork to them and not making a mistake would have been pretty low. Border Patrol apparently forgot to provide the people that they were dropping off with with the paperwork that they needed to prove that they were legally authorized to be in the United States. And had the volunteers not noted that fact, um, these people could have been in, in, in a lot of trouble if they would have run into law enforcement later on in their journeys. Once everybody's sort of gone through that process, uh, they get onto buses that the volunteers have organized that'll take them onward to Tucson or to Phoenix, where they'll move into a larger, more established shelter that has more resources and, and then carry on with their journey from there. Maryland. Maryland. Oh. When I first started in 2016, it was all volunteer-based, so there was one part-time staff facilitating everything. As we grew to, you know, the monastery, where we had like 30, 350 people a night, we had one... I visited Casa Litas in the evening, the main migrant shelter there in Tucson. A load of folks had just been brought up from Ajo. I met up with uh, Diego Pina Lopez, who is the uh, program director there. Where were they from? Uh, we have Russia, Whoa. Mexico, Honduras, two people from Honduras. As we we're sort of making our way deeper into the shelter, he mentioned that they've been sort of observing a fairly disturbing pattern in recent weeks of folks showing up to the shelter missing loved ones, people who they came with, spouses, family members, were separated from them during the processing um, there at the border, and they have no idea where they are now. And he's part of this WhatsApp group, this shelter-wide WhatsApp group, where people who are working in these spaces share information on folks who are missing, family members who, are, who want to report that they don't know where their husband or wife is. You know, you can have a spot... Um a spouse being sent to Phoenix, or Ajo, or I'm sorry, Mecca, mm -hmm. to Mexico, or dropped off on the streets in Yuma at 11 o'clock at night, or to Tucson. Yeah. And it's our job to reunify these families. Yeah. You know, think, that's terrible. Yeah. And we're seeing that like a consistent basis is that happening. There's missing persons WhatsApp I have, and I'm like, um, this person that like, can you help me find my my wife. This. I'm like, here, let's just pass the phone around. So everyone passes it, wipes it, passes it. And as I'm passing, I look that there's six families that are missing a loved one. And I hear this story, like this, uh, this, this woman is talking to this man. They have been dealing, they as in the sort of broader humanitarian aid community there, have been dealing with family separation in different forms and under different administrations for years. It's sort of one of these facets of the way our border security infrastructure manifests itself. There's a lot of separating of families that happens and that's certainly happening right now on the border. This new surge we're dealing with now started with the last administration, but it's our responsibility to deal with it humanely and to, uh, and, and to stop what's happening. While we are clear that people should not come to the border now, 
Um, we also understand that we will enforce the law. The message is quite clear. Do not come. Uh, the border is closed. The border is secure. We are expelling uh, families. We are expelling single adults. The vast majority, the overwhelming majority of people coming to the border and crossing are being sent back. People who are being dropped off in these rural drop-offs that I observed are the people who are making it in, obviously. And these are people who are pursuing asylum claims and they, to a person, have you know sponsors and family members that they're trying to meet up with in the United States. And a lot of these folks that are turning up, especially you know in southern Arizona, in the areas that I looked at are a lot of folks from South America and the Caribbean um, countries and populations that it the Mexicans aren't accepting right now in the sort of Title 42 framework. Title 42 is a sort of critical component to the story of what's happening on the border right now and what's been happening on the border for the past year. Title 42 is this obscure Centers for Disease Control law that the Trump administration, particularly Trump's top immigration advisor, Stephen Miller, turned to at the beginning of the pandemic to sort of achieve his long-standing goal of linking migrants to disease as a means to kind of lock down asylum at the border, which had been his one of his primary objectives throughout the Trump administration's four years in office. And what it did is it allowed for the Border Patrol to expel people when they encounter them. And these expulsions, they can happen on, on average, we understand, in a couple hours. So really quick, there's no sort of hearings involved, and people are removed back to Mexico or they're flown to their home countries. This rule has been used over half a million times in the last year, and it's used against asylum seekers, at least 13,000 unaccompanied children were expelled from the country under this rule. Under Title 42, they can basically take that person into custody, put them in the back of their truck, and drive them to the port and say goodbye. To interpret this as essentially just cutting off asylum for folks at the ports, I think is pretty fair. That's certainly the way it's been applied. And and you have to remember that Title 42 followed Remain in Mexico, which followed metering. I mean, there there have been these iterations of different policies over these last now um, going on five years that have ratcheted up the pressure on asylum seekers at the border and, and really squeezed off any way for people to exercise their rights under international and domestic law to seek refuge in the United States. And in the case of Title 42 in particular, the government argues that this is a, a measure that's necessary to prevent the cross-border spread of COVID-19. But at the same time, there's still streams of traffic coming through the ports at the border every day. So the population, the only real population that this is really impacting are asylum seekers. And that's why this rule has been challenged in the court. And it's why critics say that it's illegal. They say that it's essentially just 
a scheme to deny asylum seekers their rights. These policies have consistently produced an enormous amount of violence and suffering south of the border um, and running right up to the border as well and, and along it and into the United States too. There are people who have been waiting, who've been doing what they were told to do, who are still waiting and who are desperate and uh, who feel very vulnerable in the communities that they're in. And they're being targeted in the same way that they were before. There's a lot of attention rightly being paid to the high numbers of unaccompanied Central American children in U.S. government custody right now on U.S. soil. But it is only one part of a much larger story about what's happening on the border, what's been happening, what continues to happen under the Biden administration. And at the center of that story is a lack of access to asylum at U.S. ports, which is endangering the very groups of people that this administration purports to support. And that does it for this episode of Intercepted. You can follow us on Twitter at Intercepted and on Instagram at Intercepted Podcast. Intercepted is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our lead producer is me, Jack Desidoro. Supervising producer is Laura Flynn. Betsy Reed is editor-in-chief of The Intercept. Rick Kwan mixed our show. Our theme music, as always, was composed by DJ Spooky. Until next time, I'm Jack Desidoro. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.